Hello, Trailblazers. Welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast. If you're new here, welcome to the show. My name is Stacy, and I'm the co-founder and host of the Business Casual Podcast. Thank you so much for pressing play on today's episode. It means so much to us. We know there are so many options these days for which podcasts you can listen to, and so we really appreciate you choosing us out of all the options. And if you've made it this far in the episode, you know you found Business Casual, you clicked play, you're listening to one of our episodes, we highly recommend you follow us on Spotify or Apple Music or Google Podcasts. Wherever you're listening, feel free to follow so you get up-to-date and notifications every single time we post an episode. Also, feel free to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is business.casual.podcast. We're also on TikTok, and our TikTok game has been fire recently. We have been uploading the content like nobody's business. So highly recommend you also check us out on TikTok because sometimes it's a little bit more casual over there on TikTok, a little bit more behind the scenes. So definitely recommend that as well. With that being said, welcome back to another Trailblazer Tuesday. We are speaking with another Trailblazer today in the entrepreneurial space. Her name is Paula, and she is the Senior Vice President at Business Development Bank of Canada. We know times are tough right now. We know inflation is literally crazy and out of this world. According to the most recent study from the Business Development Bank of Canada, BDC, the cost of doing business has accelerated by 600%. In the last year, and we know that entrepreneurs are suffering heavily. So I wanted to bring Paula on to offer advice, tips, and to really share some valuable advice on how to navigate these uncertain times and increase your chances of survival, growth, and success. I think if you're not an entrepreneur, this episode is still really valuable. Just understand the cost of doing business in today's society, which I think is helpful if you're working for yourself, working for a family business, working for a large corporation, because we know that the cost of business and the rate of inflation is really astronomical and something that we haven't seen in recent decades. So I think that she has a lot of great insights into what this looks like and obviously from an entrepreneurial lens as well. Paula is amazing. She was recently recognized by Women We Admire as one of the top 50 women leaders of Toronto. She's been a board member of Futurepreneur since 2020. She holds an MBA from the Schluck School of Business as well as an LLM in banking and financial institutions from Osgoode Law School Paula is currently the Senior Vice President of Ontario since June 2020, overseeing BDC's financing and consulting services across the 33 business centers in the province. She has more than 25 years of banking experience, and previously to this role was the Senior Vice President for British Columbia and the North from 2017 to 2020, where she successfully grew the bank's financing and consulting services throughout that region. In terms of operational responsibilities, most recently, Paula was the digital transformation lead, and she worked to ensure that digital investment decisions, segmentation strategies, and omni-channel and client teams continue to deliver to BDC's clients. She has a plethora of knowledge, and it was so refreshing getting to speak to someone who really has a great pulse of what's going on from an economical perspective in the entrepreneurial space. So without further ado, I'd love to start the interview and welcome Paula to the show. Hey, Trailblazers, welcome back to the Business Casual Podcast and welcoming another Trailblazer this week. I'm so excited to welcome Paula to the show. How's it going, Paula? It's going pretty well. Nice to see you. Likewise. Unfortunately, no one else can see us. We don't post video anywhere yet. Maybe it's coming. We've had some questions about it, but they can hear our lovely voices, which is (laughs) the best part of podcasting, of course. And and it's so much better to actually listen to one another. (laughs) Exactly. 
yeah, the video can sometimes be distracting, but I know some people like watch on YouTube and they like to kind of feel like they're involved in the conversation. But audio to me is like a different level of like intimacy because it's a conversation that you're like almost overhearing. So it's like my favorite part about the podcasting side. Love it. Love it. Well, welcome to the show. So excited to have you here and chat. And just you've done some really cool things in your career, super established, have a lot of experiences you could bring to our listeners and a lot of different experiences to pull on. And I know you have so much advice to share. So I guess we'll kind of just start. I know before we even started recording, we were talking a bit about how you ended up in finance and kind of how you found this role in the bank. So let's just start right at the beginning. Did you know right off the bat, this was the industry you wanted to go into? This was really wanted to have? Because as someone who just entered their 20s and just entering the corporate world, it is truly the Wild West. And it feels like there are so many options and paths to go down. You're never really sure which one is going to lead you to where you want to go. So love is really right at the beginning of your career, how you kind of navigate that and what your journey was like. I love this question. And I was uh, uh, sort of reflecting on where we might go in the, in the conversation. Uh, I didn't anticipate going here, but I think it's really important. I would say I'm an accidental banker. So I have had a long career in finance, but I definitely did not start out thinking I was going to be here. Uh, I I still remember uh, when I was heading off uh, to university, my dad said, you know, if you want to earn money, you should work with money and be a banker. And I thought he was crazy. I loved history. My favorite course, uh, I, I grew up in Quebec, so my favorite course in SEGEP uh, was political science. I had no interest in what I thought banking was. So banking to me was numbers, analysis, math, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then after my MBA, I finished my MBA in Toronto. Well, one of the most natural things is to go on to banking and I, I ended up doing that and I discovered that banking is really about people and human connection. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I got into banking a little bit circuitously. So uh, I mentioned that I love political science. Um, so I was quite fascinated with government and business. And so my very first job after my MBA was uh, at the Canadian Bankers Association. And I was actually lobbying for uh, the, the Canadian banking industry. And at that point in time, uh, the, the concern was by the public, by, by the government, that the banks were not providing enough financing to small businesses. And so I was looking at the statistics, the lending statistics, and trying to understand if that was true. Uh, I, I worked on a survey of business owners to try and better understand what the dynamics were. And uh, eventually, uh, the, it was a contract position when I started. And eventually, I decided it would be much more fun to actually be a banker. So it was kind of accidental. And I was grateful to to some of the personal connections that allowed me uh, to to, uh, pursue that. Uh, And I always think that it was a little bit of luck (laughs) that got me there. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I think it always is. There's always a little bit of like things just kind of like work out. But I love the saying as well that luck is just a combination of hard work and t- what is the what is the yeah I think it's- so, so so I the one I've heard is luck favors the prepared. Yes, that's a good one too. The mine I think the one in my brain is very similar to that, which I honestly love that because I think that it is very true. It, absolutely. So my crazy first opportunity uh, to, you know, I had looked at a couple different opportunities in banking and it always takes a couple tries, right? I try and be a resilient person. So the first time, of course, they were looking for new graduates, but I'd already been working for a while. Uh, so I had to try again. Eventually, I landed an interview that happened to fall on the very day that uh, four Canadian banks announced a merger. Now, this okay. might be uh, a lot before uh, some of the folks who are listening were ever interested in banking because it was about 1998. And uh, basically, there were mergers announced, but these mergers, the banks had not sought permission from the Ministry of Finance. Okay. And so the Ministry of Finance, uh, Paul Martin at the time said, forget it. We're not approving this. It's going to be too much consolidation for the con- Canadian consumer, including small businesses. And so uh, I was interviewing at uh, the one large bank that had not been included in those mergers, Scotiabank. And the, the story I always tell is the hiring manager who was uh, supposed to be conducting my interview was so distracted by this news that he passed the interview on to the gentleman who became one of my mentors, who I'm still friends with uh, to this day. He just turned 80. And uh, he hired me. Uh, We got along really well. And uh, that was my opportunity to to break into the industry. And, uh, you know, I had lots more learning to do. But I had definitely learned a couple of important lessons while I was at the CBA. So I made sure to uh, apply them when I got th- th- this, uh, this next opportunity. So it was, uh, it was worthwhile. I love stories like this. And I feel like they come up way more often than I ever think they will, especially here on the podcast when we have conversations about how sometimes it's not even something you expected, but things just end up working out. And that is what leads one thing to the next. And then you end up exactly where you were meant to be. And it's so difficult, especially again, going back to the fact that I just entered the workforce, trying to understand what my play is going to be and understand like, at what point in my career, I'm going to get this like break or things just going to work out. And I'm going to look back and be like, okay, that made sense. But it's just not something you can really plan for. But obviously being prepared. And I'm, you know, you also brought up like mentorship and networking in that story. And those are obviously key, key things that we talk about a lot on business casual. And then I think are so relevant. And sometimes you just need to hear them over and over and over again before they kind of stick or before you realize, or you, before you hear that one person say it, that it really resonates with you. So it definitely, it's always nice to hear stories like that because you never know when your story is going to come up or when you're going to realize like, okay, now I understand why that thing happened until it actually happens. That's exactly it. And we have a lot of opportunity to reflect as things go on. And so it's a little easier to identify these pivotal moments when you're looking backwards. Yeah. But I think that for me, there was real learning 
going through difficult times. So that first job that I had was really, really tough. I needed to learn a lot of things. Uh, I needed to learn that even if I had an MBA, I couldn't sort of stride around and not collaborate with my colleagues. I remember getting an earful <laughs> from one of my colleagues, and that really taught me the value of collaboration. Uh, and I have benefited from that my entire career. The other lesson that I learned was I had a pretty tough boss. She kicked my butt, and it really taught me the importance of attention to detail. Mm -hmm. And so then I was able to use those uh, two important lessons for the for the rest of my life, and uh, I think they've really benefited me. I love I love that story, and I it, it's definitely those key learnings that in the moment are really tough to go through, and then you come out on either side and. It all, it all makes sense. And now let's lead you to your role now. We are going to take a quick break to talk about this week's sponsor, AG1. If you've been a loyal business casual listener, you know that I've been talking about AG1 for a while now. I've been taking it for over a year and I can confidently say it is truly such an easy and thing to add to your morning routine. It's something that I personally love. I drink AG1 in the mornings on my way to work and it really makes me feel ready to take on my day, that I've done something good for my body that is super easy and I don't have to really think about. It's just part of my daily habit. I take a really full glass of ice. I actually use my AG1 water bottle and I fill it with lots of ice and I fill it about halfway with water, shake it up with my AG1 and I am ready to go. So if you're wondering what AG1 is, it's a daily functional nutritional supplement that supports whole body health, which is why I drink it every day because I've tried a lot of different supplements out there, but I love that AG1 is a one-stop solution. And I've seen a lot of changes in my physical and mental health in the last year after taking it. Personally, my skin has been one that's been really noticeable, a big change from when I first started taking it, as well as just mental clarity and focus. My father has recently started drinking AG1. And I don't know if many of you know my father who are listening, but he is someone who doesn't usually take any supplements and doesn't really like changing up his routine. And he has now added it to his routine as well. He really loves how easy it is and actually has it at his office and takes it in the morning when he has to work. So really, it is one thing you can do every single day that can help your health. It has 75 high-quality vitamins, probiotics, and whole food-sourced ingredients. So if you're looking for a simpler, effective investment for your health, try AG1 today. You get five free AG1 travel packs and a free one-year supply of vitamin D with your first purchase using our link. So go to drinkag1.com slash business casual. That is drinkag1.com slash business casual. Check it out. And so before we kind of talk about your role specifically, maybe you can just share a bit about what the BDC's role is and how it kind of plays. So I think sometimes as consumers, as people who are just like living and citizens, we kind of go through the motion. Sometimes we don't really know how different, you know, government bodies work together and how the bank system actually works. And so I even know myself when I was preparing for this interview, I was kind of like, I'm not even really sure where this plays in. I didn't even know this existed. So before we kind of dive in deeper, I want to give you the chance to just give a brief overview of like what the role of the firm is and how it kind of interacts with everyday Canadians, you know, on a daily basis. Absolutely. I talked about the importance of government and business. And the Canadian financial system, I'm 
pretty sure uh, e even if you're not spending a lot of time in this space, you'll understand that it is very stable, very solid, and uh, certainly addresses the needs of Canadians for the most part. Uh, the BDC, the Business Development Bank of Canada, I think is really there to address uh, the, the, the times when the financial system isn't there. Uh, and it is here to serve entrepreneurs. So small and medium-sized businesses are uh, actually defined as businesses as large as 500 people. So it can be quite a range of businesses. And sometimes we even work with larger businesses, but we're here to, to fill in the gaps of the financial system and to provide options for entrepreneurs. Those options include uh, financing that's very patient and flexible, which means the entrepreneurs can plan ahead. Uh, we also work really hard to provide advisory services. So entrepreneurs are usually very passionate about something, but and they know a lot about their particular area of interest, but they may not know a lot about running a business. So we can work with them hand in hand. Uh, the way we're organized is as a crown corporation, which means our shareholder is the government. And that means that we can be there day in, day out uh, for entrepreneurs uh, through tough times, as well as when things are going well. And I love that we're having this conversation now for many reasons, but also if it hasn't been released yet, but if you're caught up on all of your business casual episodes, when this one comes out last week, we had on Tiffany, who also works with entrepreneurs specifically in minority communities and specifically with the black community and people of color here in Canada. And so she shared some really interesting insights as well, because she also works closely with the government to provide this funding and to provide resources with entrepreneurs. So I think it's flows so nicely, especially if you listen to last week's episode, now coming into this week's. And so we're living in really challenging times. As everyone knows, it's been so, you know, I hate using the word unprecedented, but really just challenging times. We obviously got through COVID, which was a whole beast in itself. And then coming out of the pandemic, understanding this new way of life and just dealing with all the repercussions that came from that time period. And so I know there was a study that recently came out just about the challenges that Canadian entrepreneurs are currently facing. So I'd love to kind of dive into that and talk through what some of those challenges are that you're seeing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the things that uh, most people are talking about is simply the cost of doing business. Yeah. So as much as uh, we've seen inflation affecting uh, the prices of consumer goods, it's also affected the inputs to uh, to a business. So if you think about a typical manufacturing business, for example, uh, you've got labor that is more expensive. You've got uh, shipping and logistics that's more expensive. You've got uh, the 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 inputs, what whatever those happen to be, uh, that to make your final product. Those are more expensive, and then. On top of all that, to be able to finance whatever you're doing, if you have to finance the mortgage on the building in which you make these products, the cost of that has gone up. So yeah, definitely a lot of different things affecting uh, the ability of people to carry on their their day-to-day -day business. And 
the other aspect is, of course, labor is uh, very expensive, and that's uh, a, a primary input. It's not only expensive, it's scarce, and really yeah. the two are related. But that's the, uh, the, the piece that uh, we're trying to help with. We're trying to help people understand things that they can do to make their business more efficient. We're trying to under, make, make sure folks understand uh, what they can do to improve their profitability and, uh, you know, really being there for organizations that need to work through this particular time period. And I know that you mentioned there with the shortage of labor, and I know that that was a lot of people were talking about it probably like a year, year and a half ago. It was like a really common conversation. Have Has there been any changes in kind of that labor supply and have we seen a change of that like what it was the cause of that in the first place yeah so it's something that we've been talking about for quite a while at bdc the primary cause of it is demographic change right so as uh canadians have aged as there's been smaller families that kind of thing we've really seen uh people uh, leaving the workforce as fast as people are entering it. So, so even though our economy is growing, even though our our population is is growing, the people in the workforce are, you know, the the uh, line is flat. There's right. not enough new people coming into that workforce. So that's that was a starting challenge, and and that we believe will continue for like the next 10 years, just based on the demographics as baby boomers age out. The real exacerbating factor was, of course, that Canada uh, uh, is able to continue to grow because of new immigration. And that has worked pretty well for us. But during the pandemic, that stopped and about 500,000 people that normally would have come to Canada and contributed to our labor pools uh, were not coming. Um, so we've started to see that ease a little bit. Uh, it's still uh, a challenge because matching up the requirements of, of business yeah. when it's accelerating in terms of its demand for technology, automation, capabilities, skilled trades, all those types of things, uh, the, the matching of skill sets is still difficult, but we've started to see uh, businesses slow down a little bit, uh, and that's taking some pressure off the taking a little bit of pressure off the, the job market, which is good uh, because that's a key driver of inflation. So uh, it, it's just about managing that carefully. And has there been any application? I don't know how relevant it would be or what the applications would be with like the use of AI or has that kind of been a tool that entrepreneurs and like smaller businesses or medium sized businesses have been able to capitalize on? Is that something that you guys also provide resources on because I know it's also been a very hot topic, especially with the use of like ChatGPT and AI bots. And I know every single platform I'm using now has some sort of like AI text to image applications. Is that also something that you guys have um, also been exploring? Yeah. So I would say what we've been focused on more uh, is 
the whole aspect of uh, digitizing your business. Mm -hmm. So AI could be a piece of that, but I think the application is, is probably broader for digitization and because we're dealing with a vast number of businesses. So we work with a, about 100,000 businesses across Canada. And some of those businesses are quite small, some uh, uh, are, are medium-sized. So what we're working on is trying to provide broad solutions for people to be able to translate some of the the digital tools into their business. So sometimes that's AI, yeah. and other times it's about capturing data. Right. Uh, sometimes uh, it's about integrating uh, digital technologies and automation. So it's uh, there's a whole series of things that we can do to reduce the pressure on uh, labor, certainly to make jobs more efficient to be able to uh, have a virtuous circle with the information coming out of the business. So a lot of those things are, are really important. I was just at a, a business recently and it's incredible to see the automation that's being developed in Canada and it's going all over the world, but this was packaging uh, automation for the food and beverage industry. And uh, I really love what this company was doing. Uh, the, the machines they make are incredibly complex, but they will go into other businesses, make them more efficient and take out the repetitive, boring work uh, that, that people don't necessarily wanna do. And they'll be able to do much more interesting things. It is really exciting. I love the point in time where we're at and that all of this automation and AI and machine learning is all coming to play because it definitely is going to change the landscape. But when we talk about entrepreneurs and sometimes these smaller businesses, as you mentioned, because there's a wide range, those applications are also tough to implement because if you've been doing something a certain way for 50, 60 years, if it's like a generational business, it's yeah. really costly. And, and obviously already with so many so many changes having are being at play, it's it's difficult to expect people to want to like change their business even more or invest a heavy lump sum cost to something that might not necessarily pan out for, for their specific business. So I definitely see the the challenge and kind of that tug and pull to know when it makes sense and when it doesn't. Yeah, for sure. And that's when we can help. So uh, we have a great advisory uh, services uh, practice, and they're really able to step in, uh, work with entrepreneurs to identify the places where it makes the most sense to apply some of these technologies. It's not always uh, replacing the exact same process, it's more about understanding what's available and then rethinking the processes. So it's really, uh, you know, capturing uh, a different way of doing what you've been doing. And I've seen some amazing uh, entrepreneurs figuring out how they can use that technology to allow people to work with them longer. For yeah. example, as the population ages, they've got automation that's doing the heavy lifting or even better, uh, they've got 
digitized instructions. And I've even seen entrepreneurs use technology to translate instructions for uh, people who, who may not speak English, to translate instructions for people who may have hearing difficulties. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways that uh, folks can even use technology to expand their workforce, which is amazing. No, it's so cool. And each one of those things is showing how businesses need to be resilient and, and stay resilient in challenging times and find creative and unique ways to stay relevant or, or keep their, their labor force or continue to be more efficient. And so what are some practical steps that you would suggest entrepreneurs take to really enhance their business's resiliency uh, in the face of all these economic fluctuations and just unexpected challenges in general? Because I'm sure as we've seen things change in the last three years, the next three years will see just as much change. Absolutely. So I think there's probably uh, two things that I would suggest. One of them I've been alluding to, it's really about understanding what your processes are, what it is that you're actually trying to achieve, and then going back and figuring out where the repetition is. And I'll tell you an example from BDC. BDC deals with a lot of information and a lot of customers, and some of that information has to go out regularly and repeatedly. We've been able to use um, RPA, robotic processes automation, to take the boring, repetitive tasks out of some of the work that we do. But we couldn't have done that without looking at where the repetition was. So I think that's one piece is looking at looking at the where the the processes might benefit from that kind of technology. The second thing, believe it or not, is about uh, having more of an ESG mindset. So environmental, uh, social, and and government governance ESG. A lot of times people think that's going to cost them more money. But what we've found is that people are actually more profitable when they spend the time to look at their business and break it down into its component parts. When you think about what you might do to reduce waste, what you might do to better uh, involve your people, what you might do to, to uh, improve your environmental footprint, you end up getting a better business and it can be more profitable at the end of the day. That's interesting. I never would have thought of the, the latter part of your answer there. And is that because things just become more efficient as people start to kind of reduce in certain areas? What we see is that uh, basically companies can become so much more uh, efficient, better managed, and less wasteful. So it's really the discipline to take a look into your, you know, I would start with my financials, you know, what are the costs associated with my inputs? Is there any way that I could reduce those, make them more efficient? And, uh, you know, it's an incremental process. You sort of start with the bigger items and work your way through uh, to, uh, to be able to have an impact in that way. Yeah, that's really interesting. Never would have thought of that. I've never also heard anyone else bring that up. So really interesting to look at it from that perspective. Well, it's kind of a, a perception that some people have is that 
to be environmentally sustainable, it's going to be more expensive. Right. But what, what we're finding is that uh, the process of looking at your business, how things are running, people did a lot of that during the pandemic. But yeah. if you can continue to do that with uh, an environmental lens or a, a governance lens, then uh, likely you're going to find some good uh, opportunities. I know you've given like a couple success stories here and there from your time at BTC, but is there any, you know, specific examples that you can kind of share of some success stories that people you've experienced over the last three years with entrepreneurs who have gone through BDC and who've kind of like overcome a lot of adversity and seen some really good growth in the last maybe two years? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when I was thinking about this, uh, I thought of uh, a great company that we work with. Uh, so years ago, I was in BC. This was a, a, a social entrepreneur. A social entrepreneur is someone who's really more impassioned about a particular uh, issue uh, than by the money. Uh, but of course, it still has to make uh, sense for us to, to make the loan. But in, in this case, the, the entrepreneur had, uh, it's a really tough story. They had lost uh, a child and to overcome the grief associated with that, they developed, a, a pastime of glass blowing wow. and a glass blowing studio was built. And I'll always remember this in, Whitehorse in the Yukon, and the the studio was amazing because when you focus on glass blowing, it's so dangerous that you can't think about anything else. So it was a great form of therapy, and it became a gathering place for the community. And the uh, entrepreneur was providing uh, lessons, you know, in glass blowing, and they were taking. Uh, kids' drawings and being able to produce them, and it was quite uh, quite a great opportunity to to bring the community together. So that that was a really exciting uh, entrepreneur. But we've got more traditional uh, uh, entrepreneurs that I've worked with in uh, Ontario. Uh, a great one that actually managed to put a lot of progress into their, uh, into their business. It was a father and son company and, uh, they were providing packaging and the automation that they put in each time they did it, they saw the bottleneck in their uh, particular process and they would go in, put some more automation and, uh, we've helped them finance a, a massive warehouse uh, and uh, a, a big floor plate, and their business is growing all the time. So it's uh, so it's great to see that. One of the uh, companies that we've worked with more recently uh, that might be known to to some folks who listen to your show, it's Sweets from the Earth, and okay. it's a it's a bakery, a commercial bakery that was started uh, by. Uh, Ilana Tataroff, I believe is her, her name. And she's the, uh, she started out as a vegetarian, vegan, uh, 
and has brought that to the baking. So, you know, uh, the consumer tastes have changed. Uh, a lot more interest in gluten-free, you know, peanut-free, that kind of stuff. And she and her brother have uh, worked to, to build that business and the, and the growth has been really significant. So we were able to, to help them with the real estate and uh, also with some advisory services. So it's been, uh, it's been a, a great growth story. So those are some of the, the things that I've seen over uh, the, the eight years that I've been working directly with entrepreneurs. And uh, there's, there's great, great stories out there. I love watching the innovation uh, that occurs. And uh, most people do have a challenge to overcome whether it's, you know, changes in the business, whether it's a challenging personal situation. We also uh, work with a lot of underserved entrepreneurs. So uh, we've been able to put together, for example, uh, an indigenous growth fund. Uh, we also work with uh, a number of organizations that are supporting black entrepreneurs. It's, so that's a, uh, an area that we think is really important and something that we're uh, definitely uh, focused on on a regular basis. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise to anyone listening that I love entrepreneurs. That's why I love what I do. It's not necessarily in the entrepreneur. It's not necessarily like a business, but I love being in the entrepreneurial space because I also, the same thing that you said, just love the the innovation and the insights and the passion people have for the businesses they start because like you said, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of yeah, courage to be able to start something and to be able to take the plunge, especially from not only a financial standpoint, but also like a stability standpoint and having maybe potentially leaving a, a comfortable, consistent job to start your own side business or entrepreneurial journey. So I personally love it. And I grew up watching all the shows like Shark Tank and Dragon's Den. And I think that especially with shows like that, we sometimes think that the vision of an entrepreneur is someone that's really far away and that you, you know, it's something that you need to have like a ton of money for that you need to be someone that's already well known in your community when most of the time people you interact with on a daily basis are entrepreneurs and small, medium sized businesses are what run our country and are the people that we most interact with every day. So I think it's also fun to look at it from the other side and to realize that there's so many entrepreneurs around you every single day. It's absolutely true. Uh, I came from the, the world of institutional finance, uh, and I still remember sitting across from the very first entrepreneur that I was working with. So I went from a specialized area at BDC, working with larger companies, actually working indirectly through finance companies with entrepreneurs, uh, to the direct business, which is the one that I'm in today. and the responsibility of working directly with an entrepreneur was staggering to me because when you're working in institutional finance or with larger companies, generally there's a management team, right? So people are going to exchange ideas. Uh, there's going to be more support. There's going to be a variety of skill sets at the table. That's wonderful. What I really respect about entrepreneurs is at some point, it's their will, their passion, their idea that's going to get it off the ground. So 
the advice that they receive along the way, their particular choices, whether they're personally driven or driven for the business, all of that becomes intensely personal. And so as an advisor, someone who might have information about finance or law or accounting or whatever it happens to be, uh, I think there's an enormous amount of responsibility uh, because you're influencing the path that that person is going to take because they have a direct control over the business. Yeah, that makes total sense. And now that you're mentioning that, I think her name is Candace Owens. I, but then, I don't know for sure if that's her name, but she um, is the founder of Sprinkles Cupcakes, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but it's a really okay. big cupcake. It started as a cupcake shop in the States, and now she has like cupcake vending machines all across. I'm pretty sure we have a few here as well, maybe only in the States. I'm not sure, but across North America. And I, I was recently listening to a podcast that she was on, and she said that in the first year of her business, when she had the idea, she actually didn't tell anyone because she'd had like seven ideas before that. And every time she'd tell someone, they'd be like, that's not going to work, or I don't think that's a great idea, or if it's such a great idea, why has no one ever done it before? Why do you think you're so special? And so she said it hindered her so much from ever starting anything. And then finally, when she had the idea for Sprinkles, she just kind of said, I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to do this. I think it's a good idea. I'll ask for advice and get to the point where I need other people's opinions when I get there. And I just, I've never thought about it from that perspective because I've also been in, in times where I've like, I've had ideas myself or kind of bouncing ideas off someone and someone's like, it only takes that one person to say, I don't think it's a good idea or, you know, that that's stupid. And it kind of really does impact the way you feel about your idea and your business and especially when you're at a point where you're trying to grow the business and there's already doubt because self-doubt is also something that I know a lot of entrepreneurships deal with. So I can understand where, you know, that pressure comes from your side as well to, to want to support, but make sure you're supporting in a way that like works with that specific entrepreneur. Absolutely. And we just have so much respect for the folks that have taken that leap, have taken that risk. And uh, we've seen so many businesses uh, be created uh, that what we're hoping to be is what we call a development banker, a true development banker, which means you look at the totality of the business, you really think about all aspects of it, you know, the, the entrepreneur themselves, their management team, the current conditions, what's the ecosystem around that entrepreneur, what's the resources that they have the network to be able to find what they need uh, to be able to make that dream come alive. So that's what we're passionate about. And the amazing thing is that uh, this country has a ton of resources uh, that are available for, for to support entrepreneurs. You know, they exist at the uh, at municipal, provincial, federal level and we're working with partners at all that at all those levels to be able to make it happen another reason why i love technology at this stage of life is because there's also so many resources available online and podcasts like this one or articles online that you know people produce and i'm sure bbc also has their own blog or platform or social media like ways you can interact even without having to have like a super involved role or having to be super forward about it. There's a lot of like passive ways you can also 
just gather so much insights and advice before maybe taking the leap to actually reach out to BDC or apply for a program or, or apply for financing. So it definitely is is nice that there are so many opportunities and resources. You just got to have to really put yourself out there. Like we're talking about at the beginning of the episode of like networking and building those relationships and making sure that you're taking advantage of all the opportunities. Because I think also sometimes there's so much out there that people just kind of get overwhelmed and don't really go, go for any of them. They just kind of are, are overwhelmed by the thought of how much there is out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that what I'd recommend if folks are in that position, you can always check out bdc.ca and there's a ton of resources there around, you know, if it's about writing a business plan, if it's uh, the particular point you're at for uh, growing your business, if it all seems overwhelming, we're, we've got business centers right across Ontario. So 33 business centers uh, across the, the province. And uh, we've got folks there that are always willing to speak to people to help decode all those resources that you're talking about. It can be overwhelming and you can't, you know, you can't always figure out where uh, some support ends and others begin. And, and that's one of the things that we want to be is a bit of a Sherpa through the path uh, of entrepreneurship. Well, I know you've given tons of great advice, not only from the entrepreneurship side and from BDC, but also just throughout your career throughout the whole episode. But if there's one piece of advice that you want to leave listeners with that you wish you knew when you started your career or that you've been given throughout, that's really stuck with you. That is uh, a, a good thought. Uh, I I think that my real passion, and I think what can uh, guide folks through their careers, for me, it's always been human connection. So I talked about those lessons that I learned early on, but at the end of the day, I've always been inspired by human connection and the diversity of uh, people's experiences. I was lucky enough to have lots of international experiences and and different experiences as I was growing up. And uh, I just encourage people to look for that, uh, to see where you can connect with someone um, and you're going to be able to find some common ground, uh, whether it happens to be yeah, in a business setting, in a personal setting, uh, I, you know, that's what that's what drives me, and I think that's been key to uh, being able to progress through a career that I didn't even know I was gonna enjoy. Amazing! Thank you so much for all of your advice, Paula. I really appreciate it. And it's so interesting learning more about you know your role at the BDC and how it kind of interacts with entrepreneurs every single day. And how even if you're not an entrepreneur, there's always a way that if you're interested, you can work in this space and work with entrepreneurs to impact businesses on a daily basis. So thank you so much for all of your advice. Thank you. Bye.